0: Welcome to Post Doom, regenerative conversations exploring overshoot, grief, grounding, and gratitude. I'm Michael Dowd, your host. And in this conversation, recorded in November of 2019, I speak with a longtime friend and colleague, Michael Brownlee. Michael is really a leading voice in the local food revolution. In fact, he wrote a book by that title, The Local Food Revolution How Humanity Will Feed Itself in Uncertain Times, back in 2016. And then in 2018, Reclaiming the Future, How to Lead the Local Food Revolution in Your Community. Michael lives uh, in Boulder, Colorado with his partner, Lynette Marie, and um, he's a beautiful soul. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. How are you doing just in terms of your work and your life? And just, you know, just give me a uh, give me a catch up with regards to you.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it's 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 changing really radically, Michael. You know, I I'm amazed at how how much things have changed. You know, we 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 spent more than a decade working on localization, right? Right on the front lines. You know, where this this was our full full work. And um, you know, one of the things that we realized in that was that in in doing that, taking that kind of leadership role in the community, that that we were creating a dependency that the the community was depending on us to carry that role oh sure and when we when we saw that that's when we started unloading uh, you know saying yeah. oh yeah we have to, <laughs> we have to we have to withdraw and so we we started that process of withdrawing and at the same time you know that allowed us to to go back to To really, our first love, which is working with individuals who yes. are who are deeply called, and so, yeah. you know, a, after I published my first book on the local food revolution, you know, we started doing online courses and mm-hmm. around food first, but then it it gave way finally. I mean, last August we launched this course, A Deeper Calling, and it is. Um, it's really pushed us i mean it's been it's been bubbling in the background for a few years and finally we realized we had to do it and it's it's taken taken our work to to a much much deeper level much more radical <laughs> but um so so part of what's uh, you know, in in your in your first version of the questions that you had, you you brought up the the issue of restoring the past. <laughs> you know, and so we we so many people, uh, Charles Eisenstein and lots of others have said, you know, we we're we're missing a story here. We don't we don't have the story, we don't have a story, and so. I, I feel like we're in the process of discovering that story and that I have a role to play in that. That's pretty traumatic in itself. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, be, because, the, and I'll, I'll talk about that a bit. Okay, know, great. Be, because it's not just me, you know, but there, there is a story that that's beginning to land, you know, on our, on our planet and it completely recontextualizes our past as well as the future. You know, so, so we, we know each other from a past that, ha- that gives some context to, to our conversation, and that is we, we met around the issue of Y2K you know which which was at least four hundred years ago. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, I, I've
0: got to tell you a fun story. I was just with Tom Attlee just a few oh, days good. ago. Yeah, uh, and and he gave me a copy of his uh, uh, a white awakening to Y two K or Y two K awakening. I forget whatever that little yeah. book was, and yeah. it reminded me of our uh, connection back then because oh, yeah. I mentioned to him yeah. that I'd be talking to you.
1: So we were we we were we were paying attention. You know we 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 saw something felt something that few others could see or feel at that point you know and then that's that's kind of you know the the background that we share mm-hmm. <laughs> and um so what what happened for Lynette Marie and I was uh in in early two thousand five a, a a a little known and pretty mysterious spiritual teacher sat me down and said look, you need to find a way for the, the the region around Boulder, Colorado to become resilient and self-reliant in the face of these changes that are going to be coming upon us that no one else is paying attention to right now. And so um, it, it You know, knowing that we had no idea how to do that, I mean, first of all, we had to get educated as to exactly the the dimensions of our predicament and then starting to look at what might we do locally. It led us to the early days of the localization movement, you know, with Julian Darley, Post Carbon Institute, we affiliated with them early on. And that led later on to uh, affiliating with the Transition Towns movement. Rob Hopkins, we, we helped bring that to this country, to North America, actually. And yeah,
0: I mean, you you were you were I forget what the title director or you were some some leadership role in Transition USA, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I was. I was on the board. Yeah, uh, yeah. With and, and Richard Heinberg was on the board at that time. I mean, there was a close relationship between Transition U.S. and Post Carbon Institute. Yes. Um, and and also, you know, we were trying to follow the work of Helena Norberg Hodge with, yes. with local futures. I mean, so those were the three arenas where where localization was being talked about. And mm-hmm. so we we went to work here and we tried to learn from those people. In a short period of time, we, we focused on food because we knew, especially after. <laughs> spending time with Richard Heinberg we knew that that was our most urgent issue most where we were most vulnerable in this country so we we dove into how do we localize our food supply and that you know we became leaders in the localization movement and uh we were pretty dismayed by that because if, if we were leaders and people thought of us as examples, we knew we were really in trouble (laughs) because nobody knew how to do this. Nobody, 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 you know, and even though they said they did, they didn't. And so there were a lot of people who were trying, but anyway, we, we experimented, we, we did our best here, but a few years ago, um, you know, we, we decided to, to sort of pull back from the frontline work of localization in this arena and start working with individuals. You know, our, our, our real passion is working with individuals who who find themselves with, with, a, with a mysterious but profound deep inner calling, you know, to somehow rise to the greatest occasion in, in human history but they don't know what to do or how to get on with it. And they, they, they find themselves usually alone and, uh, with, with no support. So we have, we have developed, uh, trainings and courses for, for people like that. Um, well say, say just a little,
0: yeah, say a little bit about your writing as well as your trainings and
1: courses. Oh yeah. So, you know, the first, first major book after Y2K that I, I published was The Local Food Revolution, which I guess was in uh, late 2015. Um, How Humanity Will Feed Itself in Uncertain Times was, was the subtitle of that book. It was about 450 pages. It was a, a serious effort to guide people who are called to that kind of work of building regional food systems. And there are those people and you know, it's one of the greatest challenges in the world. How do, how do we do that? So yeah. after that book, we created the local food academy as a training program, online training program. And so that's been, that's, that's taken us into working with individuals like we love to do and we've been working with people all over the world <clears throat> on that level and then, Oh, two or three years ago, we started feeling that there was another level of the work coming, you know, that we needed to pay attention to. So last, August, a year ago, August, we launched an online course called A Deeper Calling, you know, which is, it includes much we have learned about food localization, but applying the same principles to any arena of calling. Yeah. So that that's been our our primary focus, uh, and and increasingly, we, we will uh, move in that direction. And and so, you know, I'm I'm. Uh, I just finished a, a new book uh, that that kind of comes out of that work called "Navigating the Anthropocene: From Planetary Emergency to Evolutionary Emergence." Wow! Say a little bit about that. Wow, that's a it's a hard it's hard to speak about because it's been it's been a book that's been knocking on my door for quite a while. (laughs) And I finally realized that, that I had to to pay attention to it. I had to give it a runway in my own being and allow this 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 voice to be expressed. And so I'm learning how to be an expression of, of a voice for, for evolution, I would say. You know, it's, it's not just my voice, but it's also my voice. I mean, I'm, I'm involved. I'm not a passive participant. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, so we're, we're just beginning to make that available now.
0: Okay, and 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 by a voice for evolution, are you meaning that in sort of a, a directional sense, or in in uh, in adapting to what's real sense? I mean, how how what is what are you meaning by sort of a voice for evolution? How are you seeing or holding that?
1: Oh, not not an easy question to to answer. Um, maybe as as we get into our conversation, I'll be able to pull some of that up. Okay.
0: Yep but, that's fine.
1: Um you know we're uh, we're we're really we're really at the very early stages of understanding evolution. Yeah. So, yeah and um uh, so so there is an evolutionary perspective that's landing on the planet it has been you know since since Teyard right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and um the, so so there is a voice that's coming through this evolutionary force that needs expression in the world today.
0: The language that we're using for this series is post-doom, yeah. conversations exploring overshoot, grief, gratitude, and grounding. And I'm just wondering, how does that language land with you? What does post-doom mean to you? And then sort of how do you describe our deteriorating and, and contracting times?
1: Yeah, you know... Yeah, I, I um, I've been thinking about this ever since you used the words "post doom" that I first heard you use the words or read you use them, uh, and I I'm not sure we're ready to talk about post doom because I feel like we're 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 actually teetering on the precipice of truly experiencing doom. You know, we we think we know what doom is, we haven't seen it yet. So so right now we're in sort of this this pre-trauma stage and that's where most of our grief is occurring as a kind of pre-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. So 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 I love what what David Wallace Wells said in 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 the first line of his book The Uninhabitable Earth, it's worse far worse than you think. And yes. and so 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 here's what I think needs to be said now. It's Far worse than even the best-informed among us think. It's far worse than almost anyone thinks, and and we're we're just we're just barely beginning to grasp the enormity and complexity of our predicament. And yes. so, so for instance, what we we'd like to think that what we sort of insipidly call a, a climate change, you you know. It's not climate change. We're actually heading into climate catastrophe. I mean, yes. let's let's be clear about that. But yes. but but what's happening with the climate, there's so much attention around climate. Climate is just a symptom yes. of a much deeper and wider problem. And and we haven't even begun to think about what that is, let alone how how to address it. So so i'm i'm very concerned that if we put all of our energies into trying to respond to a symptom then this is likely not to end well
0: yeah well i'm so glad that you said that i mean i could not possibly agree more <laughs> um and, and and but i i didn't hold that position i don't think until uh january of 2015, when I read read uh, William Catton's yeah. book Overshoot, yeah. and that's when I realized that uh, climate change and overpopulation and species extinction, the growing growing gap between the rich and the poor, and and uh, you know uh, the rise of oligarchies and and fascism and all the rest. I mean, I could you know we both could probably list sure. another thirty things are symptoms of overshoot so, and even and even that is a symptom of what i call idolatry that is human centeredness rather well, than life centeredness
1: Yeah, and, so uh, so i will we'll, i want to go into that a bit great, great. Know, but but before i get there i want to talk about the other side of the coin here okay because the the other side of this is that what is emerging out of our predicament turns out to be far better more more profoundly encouraging and inspiring than almost anyone is able to see right now and we're we're blind to this because we're caught up in the drama of mass extinction and and the death throes of human civilization so it's it's both almost like tom Attlee, it's it's both far worse and far better than even the best informed among us currently think and and what what that means for most of us is that we can't see what's happening in the big picture sense and where we are in it where we as we're, we as humanity so so for me the focalizing term now is the anthropocene epic which you could say is the anthropocene cataclysm you know the the planet is now entering a dark age. It's, it's a time of climate catastrophe, biosphere collapse, collapse of human civilization, mass extinction, uh, w- which could include us. And, 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 and this is what many of us have been waking up to lately. And it's horrible, it's horrible. Yes. And, and there's no avoiding it. We've already passed the tipping point. But <laughs> more deeply, and, and this is, this is the, the profound news about all of this. This is actually also the time of an evolutionary course correction, which, which after what will probably be a very long period of healing and restoration and regeneration could take this planet into what Thomas Berry called the Ecozoic Era, when, when, when humanity and, and the biosphere begin to achieve a level of conscious equilibrium and, and co-creativity that's never been seen on this planet before. And, and at, at that point, you could say that, that the entire biosphere would be a conscious being and, and wow, so, wow. So, I mean,
0: yeah I'm on, I want you to lean into that a little bit more because on the one hand, uh, given the, you know all that i 've studied in the last you know twenty five years i 'm profoundly allured to a lot of that there 's yeah. a piece of it that uh, you know, that I wonder about, especially in terms of you granted that the sixth grade extinction may include us, and if it includes us i 'm wondering how you see the ecozoic Unfolding or emerging, but in any case, however, I want to see I want to hear what inspires you In terms of how you see these chaotic challenging breakdown collapsing both human and biospheric collapse um, how you see that um, sort of catalyzing something from an evolutionary standpoint is truly profound and a breakthrough
1: so the maybe the preface to that is to say that that it looks like this this course correction, this evolutionary course correction, is preparing it, it in the midst of catastrophe here, is preparing the way for the next stage of evolution of life on this planet.
0: With or without humans.
1: In which evolution becomes conscious, you know. But it's but but the the but what's happening is because of where we've gotten ourselves, the corner we've painted ourselves into. I mean, it's kind of an evolutionary Hail Mary Pass that we're <laughs> facing right now. So so for 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 myself, you know, from from the time I was very young, I, I had a, a deep sense that this, this whole world was careening headlong into unprecedented disaster. And and I you know this wasn't fair to a little kid, but this was informed by uh, several sets of recurring dreams that I had that led me to understand that somehow I, I had been present at some of the worst tragedies in human history, including the death of Jesus. And and in most of these scenarios, in these dreams, I, I was not just a witness, but I was actively engaged in what was happening. So, so I came to assume that... Although I could never talk about this with anybody, but, but right. that, that I had something that I came here to do in our current disaster. Yes. And and so on on a personal level these days, you know, I'm I'm I you know for a while I felt guilty because I was not experiencing the kind of grief that many people are putting much effort into processing these days because and I, I realized finally it's because I don't have a great deal of sadness and grief left to process because I've gone through this before in yes. many different ways yes and, 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 I,
0: and you and you had these visions or dreams in the like 1960s or 70s um, uh,
1: no I mean what I, what in in the uh, starting in the uh, early 50s early, early 50s. how old are you I, I forget how old you are I'm I'm, I'm turning 73 next month. Oh, 73. Okay, so you're you're a good you're
0: 6 years older than Connie. I for some reason thought you were roughly Connie's age. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Continue. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so I feel you know that in, in ways that I don't really understand, but I've I've already experienced extraordinary grieving, you know, and, and including the the grief and the despair of our North American peoples who who yes. lost virtually everything. And, yes. so, and it's, it's not that I'm, I'm totally immune to, to grief and sadness now. It's just that I seem to, to be prepared to be functional and, and ready to spring into action at a time of crisis. You know? So yes. I'm on the other side. It, I'm not paralyzed by, by this.
0: Well, that's actually what I'm meaning. I mean, just so you know, because we haven't had this conversation yet. For me, post-doom isn't about the external that we're not quite, at least for most people, they're not quite at doom yet. Doom, what, I, what we're meaning is a completely subjective. It's like when you get that the myth of perpetual progress is a myth and that we are looking at serious co- contracting, collapsing times, yeah. uh, both socially and economically, that hits most people emotionally as, oh, fuck, like doom. Yeah, right. And, and so and, post-doom and, is the place where it sounds like you got to very, very early on.
1: Well, and it took a long time you know for it to sink in. I couldn't make sense out of those dreams or why I would have them or what they meant you know it's it's taken decades you know yeah. to sort of put all the pieces together but but i've i've I felt like I was born for these times and yes. I've met many, many other people who feel that I was born for this this is this is why I'm here you know not not to, not to avoid this but because there's work to do and it, and it requires whatever it is that that we have within us, you know? So. Yeah. Amen. So when, when, when we see that that evolution is a force that's moving in and through this time of cataclysm, just like, you know, the 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 supernova explosion that comes out of the death of a, a, a dying star, you know, and we, we can begin to gain some sense if we begin to gain some sense on, of what's on the other side of the cataclysm, then we can hold all this destruction and suffering in a, in a very different way. Yes, it's exactly. all part of the process. It's going somewhere. And it's taking us somewhere, but but the but the Anthropocene, you know, it, it, even if even if the recovery from the Anthropocene takes millions of years, which it's likely to, that's just a very brief moment of the evolution of life on this planet. Yeah, very brief. And 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 besides all of that, you know, we're we're finally getting the perspective that that life for us doesn't begin and end with a physical body <laughs> you know that that our life on this planet or even a series of lifetimes here is but a very small part of our journey and 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 this is part of the reality that we're beginning to experience as we approach species adulthood yeah and, and so here here I want to talk about Do you know Jack Alpert?
0: Uh, I know of Jack Alpert. I've never met him.
1: I I, I had the fortune last year of of getting to know Jack. And, and, you know, he, I I love Jack Alpert. You know, he's he's working with with numbers mostly developed by David Pimentel and others who worked on this together. And Jack says that, look, 10 billion people are going to die by the end of this century. And that includes those who will be born between now and then. And and humanity is, if we survive, is going to shrink drastically in population. He says, he says it's just inevitable that we'll get down to around six or seven hundred million by 2100. Exactly, yeah. And and what one way or the other, we'll get there. And and he's convinced that we don't have to do this the hard way. It doesn't have to be a tragedy. But he says that unless we collectively choose to drastically reduce our population it will become a tragedy of, of great proportions, untold suffering. And I, I think he's right. But well, you know,
0: it, yeah, It's a, let me just jump in if I could, because you're the first person that's brought up anything like this, and it matches some stuff that Connie and I have talked about, because as you know, uh, because we've, you know, had these conversations with you and Lynette Marie, uh, you know, Connie and I hold death uh, and mortality and impermanence in a sacred, meaningful way. Yeah. And it seems to me that if, there was a way of making it a sacred, a sacrifice in the true term of what sacrifice means—to make sacred that um, that uh, in 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 responsibly, honorably, sacredly taking our own lives, and that millions of people, uh, and ultimately billions of people, could be inspired or motivated to do that. That would be enormous. I don't know that it's possible, but my god, that's a very interesting thought.
1: It it is and and he has a plan as to, you know, a a proposal as to how to accomplish that. And and that's without suffering, that's without suicide.
0: You know, wow, but, well where where would one go? Like what would one google to learn more about that if somebody's just, interested?
1: Just just google Jack Alpert. You'll you'll okay. find him. Okay. <laughs> Jack Alpert and population. But Okay. But I think you know there's there's something really important about what jack's saying but but i I also think that given the lateness of the hour now that it's that it's highly unlikely that we'll make the the optimal choices now <laughs> yeah we're we're heading we're heading down a very hard road and and we're we're unstoppable it seems we're we're going over the cliff. I mean we have to get used to that we're going over the cliff yeah. so but what's interesting about Jack is he says that. 6 or six, 600 or 700 million people could survive on the planet. That's about a sustainable number anyway. The the earth or what's left of the arable land by that time could sustain those people, but <laughs> he says by the way their their existence would be uh, very hard scrabble. Literally everyone would be farming full time every single day just to be able to eat. And they wouldn't have the tools that we have now. They'd be farming with sticks, he says. Yes. So so survival would be full-time. So, and, and that rings true to me. He, but he suggests that we'd be far better off, we'd be far better off if we consciously, compassionately reduced our numbers down to about 50 million people by the end of the century. By the end of the century. And that these people should cluster around three bioregions in the world that have the capacity of being self-sustaining and and he'll tell you exactly where those bioregions are. he has all the data it's not my job to share that but but I think he's on to something. but who in the world is even remotely ready for this conversation? you know yeah, exactly we're, we're we're still at the deer in the headlight stage here yeah. you know so you know the the greatest sadness you know because there the grief is is certainly a, a, an undercurrent a, th- a thematic undercurrent here the greatest sadness for me is is personally is seeing how difficult it is for people to to not only awaken wake up but to to respond to what they're awakening to yeah. you know and I I had the opportunity to to live on the Navajo reservation for a while many years ago and the the Navajos have this wonderful saying that it's impossible to awaken someone who is pretending to be asleep. Oh
0: that's interesting. I love that. I've never heard that before.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I've thought a lot about this. You know, but we, our re, our resistance goes really deep and and you know we've we've all heard the saying many are called but few are chosen, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that differently. I think many are called, but few choose to respond to the call. And you could mm-hmm. say that, that that call is from evolution itself. And and I also think of the Christian parable of the sower and the seed. And there there is a lot of rocky and barren ground out there. Yes. <laughs> and 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 whether this planet will be able to support the kind of life. That, that the forces of evolution seem to intend here, it, it, it remains to be
0: seen. I'm curious, how would you describe, or how would you say that this big picture that uh, Joanna Macy and Thomas Berry and Miriam McGillis and, and others have talked about, how has that, I mean, you've already talked a little bit, but how has that informed you and how does that, um, and, and what, other, what other sources of inspiration or sources of knowledge, or sources of empowerment, yeah. um, have you found most helpful or meaningful over the years?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a long conversation, but 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 what's what's clear to me, you know, is that we're we're just beginning to wake up to the meaning of evolution. Just beginning. You know, and and this you know the ball started rolling, it appears, with Thierry de Chardin. <laughs> and and people like Brian Swim and Thomas Berry have, have given us just tremendous perspective, but but I feel like they've only opened the door just a crack. And and, and our understanding is still very primitive, partly because it's based almost solely on science. And and our science is still quite primitive. I mean, our science is still unable to consider the spiritual, spiritual evolution, or or how spirit becomes clothed in matter. And and there's a there's there's a much bigger story that's unfolding here. And and so this this is something I'll, I I want to share that that is sort of outside the the normal realm of conversation that most of us would have about these issues and, and, and this comes from the the contemporary mystic peter kingsley i don't know peter, if peter who kingsley
0: i don't know peter no i don't know if it's yeah,
1: well he's he's about to <laughs> he he's about to emerge he's he's been very quiet but he's he gives us some insight into the rise and fall of civilizations that's extremely relevant now so I, I, I want to read a passage from Kingsley. So th- this, is, this is from the, the very end, the last two pages of his book called A Story That Is Waiting to Pierce You. This is Kingsley. He said, civilizations never just happen. They are brought into existence quite consciously with unbelievable compassion and determination from another world then the job of people experienced in ecstasy is to prepare the soil for them carefully, sow and plant them, care for them, watch them grow. He says, the simple truth is that every single civilization, including this Western world, was brought into being from a sacred place to serve a sacred purpose. And when that purpose is forgotten When its original alignment gets lost, when the fundamental balance of harmony of its existence become distorted beyond a certain point, then nature has her way. (laughs) He said, just as civilizations have come to an end, there can even be times of global extinction. He wrote this, I don't know, about five or six years ago. He says, but always there are people who know how to gather the essence of life and hold it safely, protect it and nurture it until the next seating. They're the ones who are entrusted to turn the pages of life, to open the book of a civilization and close it. They're the ones who are given permission to sound the note that will bring a new world into being and then sing the song that will bring it nearer to its close. They're the watchers who know the real meaning of responsibility and compassion, who are needed to witness the beginnings and the endings because without the simple power of attention, nothing can ever be done. Then he says, and all we can do is sometimes catch a glimpse of what they do without having the slightest clue about the process as a whole. So this is a whole different perspective and, and, and it lands at a time when, when our civilization is dying, our biosphere is dying, What's next? <laughs> and so, what's becoming clear is that something radically new and unexpected is emerging. A, a, you know, Stuart Kaufman talks about this a, 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 a new, uninhabited evolutionary niche emerges, but it's uninhabited, you know, and but we have. The potential of of inhabiting that, and uh, you know one of the, one of the aspects of this is what uh, you know Joel Premack and Nancy Abrams has have seen as the birth of the cosmic society. You know, very mystical language for, for uh, people uh, who are coming from a scientific perspective, but but we could think of this as the emergence of an entirely new species of intelligent life,
0: hmm.
1: not just humans looking differently, but an yeah. entirely new kind of being in the universe. And, and the, the evolutionary ethicist, uh, John David Garcia, saw this same vision more than 40 years ago, and he, he called it the moral society. And, but the, the question becomes, who, who are we? in all of this what's what's really being asked of us and and who or what is doing the asking but the opportunity it it appears that we have is to birth a conscious planet a conscious biosphere which which can be a beacon of of contagious aliveness and and conscious evolutionary spirituality in in a universe that appears to be largely barren I'm curious,
0: how, how do you see that or how do you understand that or maybe just how do you intuit that that would be different than say the first 95 to 98% of human history where we lived in small enough communities and with a sense of limits as sacred um, and with a sense of sort of life-centeredness, not human-centeredness. H- how do you see this evolution of, of consciousness and humanity at this scale being different or distinct from sort of life in the garden, to speak mythically, like how we were the you know until Human-centeredness and cities um, and sort of a, a more self-destructive way emerged.
1: Well, I, I think that uh, it it has to do with you know as as uh, Joel and Nancy point to this 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 cosmic society has has a role far beyond just this planet. You know for those
0: who are, for those who are listening to this conversation or watching it, uh, just uh, as a context, uh, so who Michael is referring to is Joel Primick and Nancy Ellen Abrams, who are dear friends and colleagues of ours who wrote a book. Well, they've written a few books, but uh, the yeah. first uh, major one was uh, The View from the Center of the Universe. And just so you know, Joel Primick is the, you know, they call him the Dark Lord. He's sort of the, 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 <laughs> the really the, the cosmologist, one of the leading and most respected cosmologists on the planet yeah. who really worked out the mathematics for dark matter and dark energy. And Nancy uh, is not only his wife, but also an amazing, uh, brilliant writer and yeah, philosopher yeah. herself. And so these two have written um, books that bring together science, our best evidential understanding of reality and sort of uh, mythic or I- inspiration, yeah. let's just say inspiration in ways that many of us find um, deeply, deeply nourishing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're pointing to, to the possibility that there that the, the, the evolutionary design here is that something gets birthed here we we may not even have to call it human, but something gets birthed here on this planet that goes goes that has a role far beyond just just this earth uh, in 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 the universe itself. And so so the enterprise that begins to emerge here it, it's 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 vastly different from the mere, change-making that, that many of us had been caught up in, in, in previous decades, you know, and, you know, and Carolyn Baker, uh, you know, bless Carolyn, she's been absolutely heroic in, in her insistence that, that we're going through a process of collective initiation. Yes, and that's that's profoundly useful, and and never mind for the moment what it is that we're being initiated into, <laughs> but it's it's clear that that uh, this is an initiation, and so that the deeper reality that that we can start to perceive is that on the other side of this initiation, if we survive, and people often don't survive through initiations we will be asked to initiate something that does not exist today.
0: Wow. I mean, this is a, it's an integrative vision that I can see how you find it deeply inspiring um, and make sense of most of what I know. I just haven't languaged it uh, in this way, especially because it seems like you both Hold this as like this is going to happen uh, if a, if a remnant of humanity survives, but it it's not likely to be thwarted even if humanity goes extinct, which is a rather extraordinary stance. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. You know, so you know, one of the things that that I think we learn, and 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 Brian Swim kind of helps to 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 get to this, you know, that. Evolution is relentless. It's unstoppable. It's going somewhere and it's going to get there. And and it runs into obstacles and setbacks and all of that, but it never stops. The good news about all of that is that we, we discover that we can begin to trust this universe that we live in.
0: Yeah, well, for me, that's uh, trusting the universe, accepting reality, trusting reality. Those are like secular ways of saying faith in God. Uh, they're, they're trusting this larger reality that is embedded, embodied, incarnate, revealed, expressed in time and in nature. Exactly. And putting your trust in that, um, whether we survive or not, that can be trusted. And yeah. I think that's the fundamental stance of faith personally
1: so you know the 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 next the, the next sort of insight for me about all of this ha- has been realizing that that as a species we we are really in the very early stages of becoming human i mean we think we understand what being human is but i i don't think so you know i think we're we're very early and so the, so this is another piece of this story that that uh, this was this is really uh, opened up for me by daniel quinn you know when, when so we could say now that that roughly 10,000 years ago we we took an evolutionary wrong turn <laughs> we, when when we adopted what what daniel called totalitarian agriculture right. and that that whole paradigm has, has gone viral, it's gone global, and it's eventually resulted in our global industrial civilization, which is exactly. now destroying the planet's ability to, to support life. So, so for, for 10,000 years, which, which is again, is a very brief period of time, we have been increasingly displacing nature to amass wealth and power and control for the few. So that's a self-terminating system. And it and so what's happened over the last ten thousand years represents devolution, not yes. evolution. Yes. And and that's the meaning of the Anthropocene. It's an evolutionary setback. So, you know, and and it was partly Carolyn uh, Carolyn Baker. I I heard her talk recently about, you know, so so much focus on climate change, especially in the discussion in the audience. And I, I, I said, well, I, I just feel like, you know, we're, we're focusing on symptoms here. And she said, well, then what is the underlying problem? And I couldn't say a word, I, mm. I, you know, I was like paralyzed. And mm. so that's been rolling with me ever since. Mm-hmm. And and so what, what I feel like I can say now is that humanity's fundamental problem is that we have been increasingly resisting evolution. <laughs> well, you
0: know, it's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I want to hear more on that, and, uh, but I'm also aware, or and I'm also aware, that one of the big things that shifted for me since the last time we stayed with y'all is that I used to interpret ecology in the light of evolution. In other words, for me, evolution was fundamental or primary, and ecology was understood in that light. And ever since I read William Catton's book, Overshoot, it's now flipped. I now interpret evolution in the context of ecology. For me, ecology is really the heart of theology. Ecology is our best... Um, uh, uh, understanding of the, the way that God's body, life, nature, with a capital N, works, and that we need to work within that for us to survive and thrive. And, um, and um, it sounds to me like you may still, and, and not even still, because that, that taints it. It basically implies that I'm right and you're wrong, it, it, that you interpret, that for you, evolution is fundamental. And I'm just wondering, have you read Catton's Overshoot? Um, sure, uh,
1: sure. And, and so, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a few years, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I would say that, but the, the way that we have come, that, that science has interpreted evolution, you know, is, is quite different from the kind of evolution that I think we're talking about here, mm-hmm. you know, which, which as, as Kingsley is pointing to, you know, he uses the word comes from another world. I would say that it it comes from the spiritual realm. That's where it begins. That's very different than that something that just somehow miraculously, mysteriously, through the process of selection shows up in the universe. Right. I don't buy it. There there is more intentionality behind this. And and we don't we don't understand that. We don't understand it. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, this leads to the last few questions I want to touch on related to human nature and death. So anything that you, I, I'm assuming you've seen the questions that I emailed, anything that you have to say or that you would like to say related to how you see our understanding of human nature either um, furthering or hindering uh, the the sort of the evolutionary transformations that we should be a part of or or, or participating in. And
1: yeah, then anything sure.
0: about mortality or death that you want to share?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, there, there was a film re- recently, and I, I'm going to blank on the title, but it's about seeds. A- and um, it, it looked at the, the life of the Hopi who, who are are growing corn under the most impossible situations, you know, sacred, sacred corn. And, um, you know one of the elders who's who's been doing this all of his life said you know we we are not born hopi we become hopi by yes. tending sacred corn yes you know so we could say that we are not born human <laughs> we are we have the potential of becoming human by tending the emergence of the sacred in the world. Okay, sure. Yeah. You know, so so when we when we talk about human nature you know we we have a pretty skewed view of human nature because we really don't know what it is. No. Yeah. It's it's on the other side of our initiation, you know. <laughs> that we can even begin to I mean children can't envision what it's like to be an adult, right? Yeah. They they get little you know their own interpretations of it, but until you you you're experiencing it, yeah. if we, and and this is, you know there have been several people that that have drawn me into this, uh, you know Arthur M Young is one, Christopher Alexander is another. But if we if we study the patterns of evolution, you know we we can begin to see how. Uh, and I have to put these words in quotes almost is we can begin to see how spirit tunnels into the realm of the physical hmm. and, and brings healing and, and regeneration and even actually creates life. And then, and then here's, here's the, the almost impossible part to talk about, but I, I feel compelled to talk about it. You know, that if, if we study the beings, that we might call the angels of evolution, <laughs> we we see that they have been working behind the scenes for thousands of years to make possible what's just beginning to emerge now—that that we call the the deep revolution—and they've they've had their failures and their setbacks because their their only agency here, whatever these beings may be, is through humans, you know, and and. The, the failure, and I, I'm, I'm just going to do this, Michael, and say Go for the, it. the the failure of the Jesus mission was perhaps their greatest setback. Mm. And, and this, was, this was a mission for which they had prepared for many centuries, including the appearance of the axial religions and traditions. That was their project you know part of the evolutionary course correction they were laying the foundation for a moral and ethical society that could become global over the early centuries of the first millennium ad mm-hmm. and, and that's that's i mean this is tying back into what what peter kingsley is saying as well you know that's why the the ancient greek culture and the roman empire were established that's why the library at alexander what was established, uh, you know, the greatest learning center in human history. All, all of this foundation was being built for an event, an evolutionary infusion, you could say, that was to happen in conjunction with this person that we know historically called Jesus. And, and we, don't, we, we know almost nothing about him and his mission because his life and his work was brought to an untimely end. Wow. So okay. there, there, there was a lot writing on him in evolutionary terms, and and of course not just him, but he had something very specific to do. But with his death, it remained undelivered and essentially unknown in the world. And that that's one of the greatest tragedies, you know, in in human history, the source of great suffering in the world today, because. He could have ignited this deep revolution 2,000 years ago, and it would have, because of the foundation that has been had been laid, it would have quickly spread throughout the world. And, and we would have entered the ecozoic epoch in perhaps a few hundred years. We, we would have not had to go through the Anthropocene. We would have not had to go through population overshoot. But all of that foundation was wiped out, was obliterated. And, the Roman Empire collapsed, the library at Alexandria was burned to the ground, and all of that knowledge and wisdom of the world just went up in smoke, and the world was plunged into the Dark Ages. You know, so.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you are outlining a pretty well thought out and coherent metaphysical worldview if somebody is listening to this or watching this conversation and who wants to know more learn more do they just contact you is there an author or authors that have written about this or like where does somebody go to lean more into and learn more about this perspective that you're articulating that's that nobody else in this conversation series has brought up
1: there are many you know i i think christopher alexander is is essential um
0: well, I mean, I've read all of Pattern Language, and it was a part of one of the first uh, permaculture-based uh, eco-villages. I'm
1: not, I'm not talking about that. You know, the, it's it, the the work that came much, much later in his life. Uh, the the four-volume series on the nature of order is is where he really delves into the 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 spiritual and. Um, most most people have not i mean they're they're really intimidating books i mean they're big they're they're very very intense you know and it was marian mcgillis who 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 introduced us to that work of of alexander and and you know when she didn't even say what it was she just set the books up on the table in her library quietly and sat down and uh, tom atley was in the room that day i remember. but I, w- once I realized, you know, how important they were, I, I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to take the next six months and read these." She she just laughed at me. Wow! It will take you years, and she was right. <laughs> you know, and um, there there is much there that that's that's really important. I mean, he's he's really showing us um, how how we can be vehicles for the, the, the expression of evolution. Wow. You know, and that's what he was doing in his work as an architect. And, you know, he didn't do architectural drawings. He didn't do blueprints. (laughs) He was responding to something much deeper. And uh, anyway, so, so he's one. There, there are many others. I, I would certainly recommend John David Garcia who very, very few people know about. Uh, Book is called uh, Creative Transformation. Unfortunately, he died prematurely, but um, um, Marshall Vian Summers, who is the spiritual teacher that set us on this path originally uh, of of localization, he's here in Boulder.
0: Marshall, Uh, what's his middle name?
1: Vian, V-I-A-N. Marshall Vian
0: Summers, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, his work is is very very important in understanding this perspective, uh, and I would say particularly in understanding the role of of the the angelic or spiritual realm in human evolution. You know, this is something that, I mean, we we haven't talked about angels in in our society since the New Age movement. You know, where right. angels are very popular you, you know, with the angel cards and trinkets and, you know. <laughs> Uh, ceramic figures and all that stuff. You know, unfortunately, most of that's gone away. But, but if we if we look back through the, the the literature of human history, we see that there have been these beings that have been there all along, and they've played some sort of really seminal role in human history, which we don't understand, have not understood. But now it's time. It's time for us to to work in conscious partnership with the angel, angels of evolution they, they've, they've had our backs for a long time they've been nudging us gently <laughs> and and it's it's difficult for them because they as, as I mentioned you know they apparently they because they're not physical beings they don't have agency in the physical world. They need partners to work with and and we're the best candidates right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe the raccoons if we go extinct or whatever right? yeah. or the dolphins yeah. or whatever
1: yeah
0: wow well Micah, you 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 bring such heart and passion and an expansive understanding of our times and of evolution um anything at all that you want to say in sort of bringing this this conversation uh, uh to closure and feel free to take as long and go in any direction yeah. that you want but uh i just want to invite you to Share anything there is left to to share that were so you can really feel complete about this conversation.
1: You know, Carolyn Baker again in a workshop she did recently quoted a poet whose name escapes me unfortunately, but the line that jumped out at me was, "What can be lost will be lost." Oh wow! So if if that's true, then we who are awakening need to focus on what must not be lost on what must come to birth. And and that's, that's, that's where my attention is these days, that and, and training these, these uh, sort of evolutionary midwives or evolutionary catalysts, if you will. And, you know, we, we, we hear that, 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 at least 98% of all species that ever lived on this planet have gone extinct, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to realize that all species become extinct. All civilizations come to an end. Right. All stars die. May- maybe all galaxies die. Maybe all universes die. But but <laughs> evolution continues. Yes. Love and spirit remain and mysteriously we remain and that's the bigger picture that's the greater reality that we're just beginning to grasp and so so what that means is we're we're, we're all essentially compost here <laughs> but 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 we have the capacity for being conscious compost <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and, and that's that's a very subversive strategy by the way
0: <laughs> wow I, you know my brain goes to sort of humorous bumper stickers you know
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely so so if if what can be lost will be lost so another poet said recently what you are not will die and what you are will not In other words, what is real will persist and what is not will not persist, you know, and and that goes with what Daniel Schmachtenberger says, which I love, unsustainable means self terminating. (laughs) So we we means that we can let all of that go and prepare, learn how to align with what's emerging in us and through us. And, And 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 listen, you know, we we might lose this planet. That's definitely possible. We might, we, we could lose the human species. And and that seems especially likely now, but I think that's mostly because we haven't really understood evolution. We haven't understood the angels of evolution. But if, even if we do lose it all, the work that we must do remains. The mission remains the same. If, if we can't bring the cosmic moral society to birth here on this planet, then we have to do it somewhere else. <laughs> this this is the dream of the universe itself, not just our dream. So, so what I would say is that the angels of evolution will not let us off the hook. You know, evolution is relentless and it will prevail and we will ultimately yield and become angels of evolution ourselves, and join them in the great work of ending separation.
0: For more information about this project, go to postdoom.com.